open our Bibles, if we have them this morning, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, for those uh, who may be just joining us or haven't been here in a while, we have been in a study of the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, this is the 59th message. Um, I'm just the kind of guy that I really hate to end on the number like 59. It needs to be 60. That's just, that's just me. And uh, so I don't, we'll, we'll dream up something to preach at the end of the chapter. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It may have to be 59. Um, but we have, we have learned a lot of practical truth from the Gospel of John. And uh, today I, I trust that it will, will be more practical. And I, I, I think it will be very applicable to many of us here today. Toward the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus has died on the cross, he's been buried, he's risen again, and now he's beginning to make what, what we would call some post-resurrection appearances. One of the strongest arguments for the validity of Gospel truth is the resurrection. No other religious leader of any kind of, in any time has died and been buried and rose again. They've all died and they've been buried and they're still buried. But the tomb of Jesus was empty after three days. Well, I don't believe that. Well, listen, Jesus knew that would be the case. And so he starts making these post-resurrection appearances. You can go on over uh, from the book of John and learn that at, at one point after his resurrection and before his ascension to heaven, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. Now up to this point, he has appeared to Mary Magdalene. We talked about that a few years, uh, a few years, seemed like a few years ago, a few weeks ago. Then he appeared to his disciples in an upper room. I say his disciples, minus Thomas. And then last week, we saw that he appeared again to his disciples. This time, Thomas was there, and it changed his life. Now, as we come to our text today, we're 30, anywhere from 30 to 32 days removed from that last meeting of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. His disciples are no longer in Jerusalem. They're no longer in that little upper room hiding for fear of the Jews. They have now made their way about 75 miles away from Jerusalem to a place that, that John calls the Sea of Tiberias. We may be more familiar with it as the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to appear to them again. And this time, he's appearing for the specific purpose of speaking into the life of Peter. And we'll get to that place in a few minutes but for those who may not be familiar with Peter's story, 
Allow me to, to take some, some time here early on to let you know a little bit about Peter's life. The, his, his whole life story is unveiled in, in, in bits and pieces all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, reading those, you can piece it all together. But here's one thing that we know for sure about the life of Peter. Prior to the Lord calling him uh, to be his disciple, prior to his decision to answer that call and follow Christ, we know that he was a business owner. He was a businessman. By trade, he was a professional fisherman. And one day Jesus came along and he called him and here's what he said, follow me. Remember those two words, they'll be very important toward the end of the service. He said, follow me. And Peter left his business and began following Jesus. Now on just a side note here, I want to I point out how... Jesus used Peter's life experiences and his skills as a fisherman during the three years that they spent together ministering to people. And I point that out to say that oftentimes God uses our life experiences. Sometimes God gives people life experiences outside of the ministry and outside of church. And sometimes even when they're outside of Christ, He gives them certain life experiences so He can then utilize those experiences to help them expand the ministry and the message of the church. And so if you are a business leader here this morning, if you are a business owner, if you are a professional people, people, person, then I would encourage you to think about how your job skills and how your life experiences could be redeemed for the service of the Lord. Think about how you can bring your experience and your knowledge and your skills into the to work of the Lord to benefit the growth of God's people and to enhance the mission of reaching the lost. Listen, you don't have to be good at what you do just out there. You can be good at what you do in here. And enhance the work of the Lord. And I would encourage you to give that some thought. Now when Jesus called Peter, he was well aware, well aware of Peter's potential for greatness. I mean, he knew, he knew all of those things. But he was also aware of Peter's propensity towards impatience and impulsiveness. And if you know anything about the life of Peter, it seemed like his life was always two steps forward and one step back. No disciple was spoken to by the Lord more than Peter. But at the same time, no one was rebuked by the Lord more often than Peter was. No one confessed the Lord more publicly 
or more boldly than Peter. But at the same time, no one denied the Lord more forcefully or more publicly than he did. Which brings us to a tragic part of Peter's life. Now, let me say this. Jesus knew when he saved us that none of us would be perfect. He knew that going into our relationship. He knew that as long as we had to live in this fallen world with our fallen natures, that there were going to be times when we would fail him. There were going to be times that we were going to mess up. And Jesus predicted such a time in the life of Peter. Let me show you. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now watch this. And he, this is Peter, said, Lord... I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Pretty bold statement. Lord, I I don't know what you're talking about. I am ready to die for you right now. And he said, Jesus said to Peter, The cop shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny that thou deny shalt. Thrice deny that you know me. Peter said, Lord, I'm not sure where you're going with this, but I'm just going to tell you right now, up front and out loud, that I'm on your team. And that I will always follow you, and that I will even be willing to die for you at the drop of a hat. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, he said, the cock's not, the rooster's not even going to crow. And you're going to deny me three times. I find it interesting that at the beginning of his discussion with Peter, he used his old name. He didn't say Peter, Peter. He said Simon, Simon. Some of you may know Simon was his old name. Before he started following Jesus, at that point, Jesus gave him a new name. And in essence, I think this is what Jesus was saying to Peter. Hey, the old you is shining through again. And what's going to happen this time is what happens every time that you let the old you begin to think and speak. It's going to get you in trouble. How many here know something about that? Absolutely. I'm talking about those times, even as a believer, that you revert back to the way you used to think or the way you used to act before you came to know Christ as your Savior or before you really started growing in your walk with Him. If you know anything about that, then you know how discouraging and disappointing 
and sometimes even how devastating that can be. But be it known that even the best among us today fail. Even the biggest, brightest among God's people oftentimes revert back to that old way of thinking. They revert back to that old way of talking. They revert back to that old way of behaving. It's exactly what Peter did, and his failure was epic. Listen, if Jesus ever needed Peter to be strong and bold, it was when he was facing certain death by crucifixion. But in that crucial hour, Peter failed. Big time. And I might take time to, to read into all of that, and, but he ended up denying the Lord, just like Jesus said he would. He ended up saying three times, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then the Bible says that the, the, the rooster crowed, and Peter went out. Look at this. Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. The one who stood so boldly and so proudly and vowed publicly and said, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death, crumbled into a heaving, sobbing mess of broken humanity. The man who professed in Matthew 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, denied even knowing who Jesus was, not once, not twice, but three times. And it's easy for us this morning to be hard on Peter. But have you ever made a promise to God that you didn't keep? Did you ever make a commitment to the Lord that you went back on? Maybe you made some kind of financial vow to the Lord, but you haven't kept it. Maybe you made a promise to be more consistent in your devotional life, but you haven't been. Maybe you made a, a vow to be more faithful to church, but you've dropped the ball over and over again. Maybe you've made a promise to forsake a, a certain sin, and you did for a while. But even as I speak, you're right back at it. Some of you have may have made vows to the Lord to be a better spouse or a better parent or, or a, a more obedient son or daughter, and you were for a while. Have you ever had opportunities to be bold in your witness for the Lord, but you didn't take advantage of it because of fear? I'm talking about those times when in a way we said, made the same vow and the same promise that Peter made, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you hard and I'm going to be close to you and I'm going to be faithful to you. And we failed. 
mess up. I would venture to guess this morning that we've all been there and we've all done that. So at this point, the question begs to be asked, what did we do when we failed? What was our reaction to disappointing our Heavenly Father? After Peter denied the Lord the thing that he boasted that he would never do, the Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly. Think about the last time you had an epic failure in your spiritual life, whether it was last month or last week or even last night. Did the Holy Spirit convict you? Did it bother you as you were made to see who you really are apart from the grace of God? There are some Christians who fail the Lord and they're ashamed. Feel dirty, they, they're embarrassed, they're, they're actually devastated like Peter and they weep bitter tears of regret and it, it, it seems that their repentance is almost immediate. Then there are those who put off repentance and consequently their heart grows hard. Their heart grows cold. And I would suspect that in a crowd this size that I'm probably speaking to some people just like that. At the outset of, of your failure, you were convicted. Oh, you were bothered, it's, you were ashamed, and, and you just couldn't imagine in your mind how you would do that again, and how you would say, why you would say that again, or why you would act that way again, and, 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 and you're bothered in the inmost part of your soul, you're embarrassed, and you're so incredibly disappointed in yourself. But because you didn't deal with it right then, you've eventually learned to live with it. And you're still living with it. And your heart is cold. And it's calloused. You have no joy. You have no rejoicing. There may have been a time in your life early on when you would have stepped in a service like this this morning and, and your heart would have been overjoyed because of the opportunity to praise and worship the Lord, you remember a day when you were one of those people that were clapping because you know what it was you know in your heart to step into the light. And just that moment this morning has brought on a sense of, of conviction, a sense of, 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 of regret. I just tell you this this morning, every day away from the Lord is a lost day. 
But here's the silver lining in this dark cloud, and I don't want to just overpower you with negativity today, but I'm just being real with you. This stuff happens. But here's the silver lining in this dark cloud of miserable failure. I'm talking about the failure in Peter's life. Listen, even though Peter failed the Lord, and even though we have failed the Lord, the Lord has never failed us. Not one time. He's ever faithful and willing to forgive those who are willing to repent. A man by the name of John Ortberg once wrote this. If there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving Longing to forgive. C.S. Lewis, who I've quoted many times, once said, though our, though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless. Listen to me this morning. No matter how miserably you may have have failed the Lord, Jesus is relentlessly in love with you and he is relentlessly pursuing you. He knows when you will fail him. And he will be there on the other side of that failure. You know why? Because he's faithful. Even to those who are unfaithful. And that outstanding truth brings us to John 21 and to our text. Peter, I'm not going to take time to read all of the the verses here, and so I'll just give you a a highlighted version. Peter and the other disciples, they've left Jerusalem. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They have been fishing all night. Now, some of you guys that are fishermen, um, you'll, you'll appreciate that. They had fished all night, and come morning, they hadn't caught a thing. Zero. Zippo. Nada. They hadn't caught anything. And like many in this room, they were professional fishermen. For real. They didn't just wear the shirt and have the hat. They were serious fishermen. And as they started making their way back to the shore, they heard a voice from the shoreline. And the voice said, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. And so the man on the shore tells them to cast their net on the right side of the boat and they'd catch some fish. Now, doesn't it aggravate you? Somebody comes along and you're fishing and they try to tell you how to fish. Well, this guy, he's on the shore and he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. See how that works out for you. And so they did. And sure enough, the Bible says they caught so many fish that they could hardly draw the net in. And at that point, John, the writer of this gospel, 
John realized that that voice on the shore, that man on the shore, is Jesus. And he says, it's the Lord. And without hesitation, Peter jumped into the water. He did, I told you Peter was impetuous. He, did, he couldn't wait for them to row the boat back to shore. Peter jumped in the water and he swam to shore. And then once the other disciples made it to shore, they saw that Jesus had a little campfire going there. And in that campfire, he was cooking fish. And he said to them, come and dine. Now we're going to pick up the rest of the story in verse 15 of John chapter 21. And we're going to see three steps. And I'll try to move along quickly. But I want to give you three steps this morning. How to get back on track after you failed the Lord. Look at verse 15, John chapter 21. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 18, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself. In other words, he, he was able to dress himself, and, and he says he was able to go wherever he wanted to go. And when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee or dress thee, and they'll have to take you wherever you want to go. Verse 19, this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Real quick, three steps. How to begin again. How to get back on track in your relationship with the Lord. Number one, it starts with confession. I'm not talking about the, the kind of confession where you go and sit and tell some guy behind some window or screen what you've done wrong. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not even found in the scriptures, to be honest with you. Notice here that Jesus didn't condemn Peter for his failure. He didn't rub his nose in it. As a matter of fact, he never even mentioned it. Did you notice that? He never even mentioned Peter's denial and walking away from him. He never even mentioned Peter's boastfulness about how he would never deny him and how he'd be willing to die for him. Jesus never brought any of that up. He didn't ask Peter if he was sorry or if he would promise to never do it again. 
or if he would try harder to be more faithful. None of that. What Jesus did was probe Peter's heart to determine the depth of his love for him. Note again, Jesus called him by his old name, Simon, son of Jonah. Listen, Jesus wasn't going to presume that Peter wanted the same kind of close relationship that they once enjoyed. He wasn't going to presume that he wanted to wear his, his new name or that he even loved him at that point. So we asked him three times, do you love me? And there's a reason that Jesus started here with Peter's love for him. And it's because our sin is not just a breaking of God's commandments. It is a breaking of God's heart. Sin, by nature, is not just against law. It's against love. Think about it. When one spouse is unfaithful to the other... One of the offended's first thoughts is whether or not their spouse loves them. If, 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 if he loved me, if she loved me, why would, why would they do such a thing? It's not just that they, they sinned uh, 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 against God's word, it's that they sinned against their, their spouse's heart. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. If we're going to be restored to a place of fellowship with the Lord, there must not only be the acknowledgement of our sin, but there must be the acknowledgement of our love for Him. And our love for Him must be greater than our love for the pleasures of sin. So it starts with confession. Lord, I do love You. In my heart, I do love You. There's confession and then there's contrition. Jesus started with Peter's love for him because if Peter didn't love him, then nothing else really mattered. Following Peter's confession of love, Jesus wanted to see if Peter was just sorry. Now listen to this. He wanted to see if Peter was just sorry for what happened or if he had genuine sorrow. And there is a difference. Between being sorry and being sorrowful. Being sorry is about regret. Being sorrowful is about remorse. If you have your Bible open, I want you to notice verse 17. There's a very important word about halfway down in that verse. And it's the word grieved. Peter was grieved. There's a lot of speculation as to why Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And I'm not going to get into all of that this morning. Because frankly, I believe the answer lies right here in our text. I don't think we have to speculate why he asked him three times. I think the answer is clear. He asked him three times because that's how many times it took Peter to be grieved. He could have asked him four or five or six times. 
But after the third time, Peter was broken, and that's exactly what Jesus was looking for. He was looking for brokenness. He was looking for remorse, not just regret. He was looking for that sorrow that leads to repentance that Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians. He was looking for the kind of sorrow that David, of of the book of Psalms fame and earlier, he was looking for the kind of sorrow that David eventually exhibited following his sin with Bathsheba concerning that David later wrote in Psalm 51, and this is very important, stay with me, verses 16 and 17, David said, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not surprise. Uh, What's the word? Despise. Here's what David was saying. Here's what David knew. Sacrifices Burnt offerings, they were all outward things that honestly anybody could do. Anybody could do those things as a matter of formality without any contrition or sorrow whatsoever. David knew that. And he knew that that's not what God was looking for at this point in David's life. He wasn't looking for a bunch of outward spiritual activity. David knew God could see right through that nonsense and right into his heart. And he knew that God was looking for brokenness on the inside. Now here's the deal this morning, church. Backslidden people who are away from God come to church all the time. They sit in chairs just like you're sitting this morning. They carry their Bible and they sing the songs. They do what you're supposed to do in church. All of which are equivalent to sacrifices and burnt offerings. These things are outward. And honestly, listen, anybody can come to church. Anybody can carry a Bible. Anybody can sing a song. Even a good, saved, backslidden Baptist can come in here week after week after week and just go through the motions and, and, and look like everybody else looks. But yet God, listen, God sees beyond that and He looks into our heart. Man, we look at this and say, wow. Man, they got it all together. They're just, they're really in there. They're, they must be close to God when the truth is they're far away from God. And all they're offering are a bunch of outward, ceremonious offerings. The question this morning is this, are these people broken? Do they realize That they've not just broken God's commandments, but they've broken his heart. Peter felt the pain of his sin. And with that, he recommitted to a life of faithfulness and service to the Lord, which is the third step in beginning again. There's confession 
there's contrition or brokenness because of our failure, and then there's commitment. This new commitment was a commitment to live for the Lord no matter the cost, which is important because listen to me this morning. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that living for the Lord is all health and wealth and you're going to get a million dollar check in the mail and you're going to drive a Mercedes and you're going to live in a mansion. That's nonsense. It'll cost you to live for Jesus. Living for the Lord is a sacrificial way of life. And Jesus was right up front with Peter and he said, Peter, I know you're recommitting yourself to me, but I want you to understand there's going to come a time when you're going to die for me. <laughs> Sometimes you'll hear Christians you know, put on Facebook or whatever, I'll be willing to die for Jesus. Listen, that's not the question. Because the truth is, you'll never be willing to die for Jesus if you're not willing to live for Jesus. The question this morning is not, will you die for him? The question this morning is, will we live for him? True discipleship is a sacrificial way of life, but let me tell you this, it's also a very rewarding way of life. And I love, I told you to, to remember the earlier words that Jesus said to Peter when he said, follow me. I love this, look at the close. Of, of verse 19. The final words to Peter here. Look at him. Follow me. Again, those were the very same words that he used the first time that he called Peter. And it's like after hearing Peter's confession and seeing his brokenness and his commitment. I love this. Jesus said, okay, son. Let's try this again. Let's try it again. Peter, follow me. You know what you call that? The Bible word is grace. Peter was a changed man after this. You know anything about his life, you know that he was totally committed to the Lord from this time on. As a matter of fact, he was so changed that Jesus used him, Peter, on the day of Pentecost to preach to thousands of people. I'm talking about that guy that denied Jesus a few years ago. Now he's recommitted his life to the Lord and he's dead serious. And Jesus used him to stand to thousands of people, read about it in the book of Acts chapter 2, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 of those people came to know the Lord. God went on to use him to write two books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, toward the end of your Bible. And I share those things as a means of reminding us all of something that has been said from this pulpit by me and by other pastors who have stood here, and it's this. No failure is final. No failure. Oh, the pastor, you don't understand. I really messed up. No, you don't understand. No failure is final. None. As long as there's grace, there will be forgiveness and the opportunity to begin again. 
over a hundred years ago, a poet by the name of Hezekiah Butterworth wrote a poem titled, The Bird with the Broken Wing. And in part, his poem reads like this. I walked in the woodland meadows where sweet the thrushes sing and found on a bed of mosses a bird with a broken wing. I healed its wing, and each morning it sang its old sweet strain. But the bird with the broken pinion never soared as high again. I found a young life broken by sin's seductive art, and touched with a Christ-like pity, I took him to my heart. He lived with a nobler purpose, and struggled not in vain, but the life that sin had stricken never soared as high again. I submit that to you this morning to say this. What might be true of birds with broken wings is not true at all for men and women of God who fail in their journey of faith. I mean, just think about it. Abraham was a, well, he was a liar. He lied multiple times. And yet God called him his friend. So much for his broken wing. Jacob was a cheat. Jacob was a thief. He was a deceiver. He cheated his own twin brother out of his inheritance. His own brother, he stole his inheritance. How despicable is that? And yet, God lifted Jacob to new heights following that. So much for Jacob's broken wing. I mentioned David earlier. David not only committed sin with Bathsheba, he had her husband murdered. Now come on, really? How could God ever use a man like that? I mean, his life was over, right? No. David repented. I read about it in Psalm 51. David repented. And you know what God eventually said about David? He said, he's a man after my own heart. David's broken wing didn't stop him from soaring high for God. Can I just be real honest and transparent with you this morning? If breaking a wing, so to speak, meant that God could never use you again, I wouldn't be standing here. I failed. I've had some epic failure in my life as a believer. But I'm 
thanking God today for His grace. Because God said, you can begin again. And I'm not done with you. And I know a lot of these people that are sitting here this morning, I've been with many of them since birth. They're nearly 40 years. And I'm telling you that there are some people sitting in front of you and behind you, maybe beside you, across the aisle from you. That have some broken wings. But by God's grace, He's still using them because He's healed them and He's helped them and He's strengthened them. And today, the truth is, they're stronger for God than they have ever been. You know why? Because of grace. Because they were willing to confess, Lord, I failed. It wasn't anybody else's fault. God, this is on me. I failed. And they were broken about it. They weren't just sorry for it. They were full of sorrow. And they repented. And then they recommitted themselves to live for God. And they've never looked back. It's not that they're perfect today. They're not. I'm just telling you. No failure. This final. We pray together this morning.